And now a word from GSK. Respiratory syncytial virus, better known as RSV, has been in the news a lot lately, and RSV season is fast approaching. RSV infection can put older adults at risk, including those with certain underlying conditions. But vaccination with RxV, respiratory syncytial virus vaccine, adjuvanted, can protect adults aged 60 years and older. RxV is a vaccine used to prevent lower respiratory disease from RSV in people 60 years and older. Arexvi is proven through a clinical study to be over 82% effective in preventing lower respiratory disease from RSV and over 94% effective in those with asthma, diabetes, COPD, chronic heart failure, advanced liver or kidney disease, or any chronic respiratory or pulmonary disease. Arexvi does not protect everyone and is not for those with severe allergic reactions to its ingredients. Those with weakened immune systems may have a lower response to the vaccine. The most common side effects are injection site pain, fatigue, muscle pain, headache, and joint pain. Talk to your doctor or pharmacist to see if Orexvi is right for you and learn more by calling 888-Orexvi9 or by visiting orexvi.com. That's A-R-E-X-V-Y dot com. RSV? Make it Orexvi. In the first decades of the 20th century, parents in the United States lived in terror of polio. CDC is trying to solve the riddle of poliomyelitis, which kills or paralyzes thousands of people every year. Doctors didn't know how the disease spread or how to treat it. What they did know is that it mainly struck children and that it left many of its victims paralyzed, often for life. As the century progressed, the disease kept becoming more common. In 1952 alone, polio paralyzed 3,000 children in the U.S. One poll of American parents found that polio was their second greatest fear, right behind atomic apocalypse. The science of understanding viruses and developing vaccines had come a long way since the era of Edward Jenner that we talked about last week. Still, by the middle of the 20th century, there was no vaccine to prevent polio. But scientists were about to develop not one polio vaccine, but two. And to this day, we use these two very different kinds of vaccines to immunize people around the world against polio. On today's show, we'll tell the story of the cutthroat scientific rivalry that resulted in one of the greatest triumphs in American medicine. Or maybe two of the greatest triumphs? I'm Jacob Goldstein. This is Incubation. So both of these vaccines protect people from polio, but they work in profoundly different ways. This is also true of the scientists who developed the vaccines, Jonas Salk and Albert Sabin. Salk was everyone's idea of a hero. He was like Superman. He was good-looking. He was soft-spoken, polite. He's, he's like the kind of guy you'd want your daughter to marry. And Sabin was this abusive, loud-mouthed, obnoxious person who managed to offend even his best friends. This is Karen Torgeli. She's an epidemiologist, and she's writing a biography of Albert Sabin. I asked her to tell me more about Sabin, this scientist who managed to offend even his best friends. By all accounts, he had an explosive temper. He was a perfectionist. He had little patience for people who weren't as smart as him. 
Which was basically everybody, right? He was very, very, very smart. So <laughs> Pretty much everybody. Yeah. So that's Sabin. Tell me about Jonas Salk. They had some things in common. Both were from Jewish families. He went to medical school at New York University, just like Sabin did, because it was one of the few places that would take Jews in those days. Their paths crossed probably for the first time at Woods Hole in Massachusetts. Woods Hole, the Marine Biology Institute? Yes. So they got to know each other and they were friendly. Salk was kind of like the little brother scientist to Sabin, who was by then getting well known. Okay. And Salk at the time was maybe still in medical school? Is that yes. right? Yeah. yeah. How does he get from medical school to, to working on polio? So Salk moved to Ann Arbor, Michigan, and worked on a vaccine for flu. And the, the critical part of this is that the flu vaccine was made from a killed virus and not okay. a live virus. Karen told me that working on this killed virus flu vaccine was a key moment for Salk, and really a key moment in the history of vaccines. Because... Up until this point, there was basically one way to make a viral vaccine. Use a virus that's still alive, but that's attenuated or weakened. But the flu vaccine that Salk helped to create was different. It was made using a killed virus, a virus that had been completely inactivated. So now, there were two potential strategies for developing a polio vaccine, attenuated or killed. And there were real trade-offs between the two. An attenuated virus will multiply inside the body. This induces a stronger, more robust immune response, which is good. But if you're giving people this kind of vaccine, you better be really sure that their immune system is strong enough to handle it. Otherwise, the vaccine might accidentally give people the very disease that you're trying to prevent. So that's attenuated. And then you have a vaccine made from killed virus, which often requires boosters for long-term immunity. And if you're manufacturing a killed virus vaccine, you have to be really sure that all those virus particles are actually dead, that they're totally inactivated. So there are these two options for the polio vaccine, and it really wasn't clear which one would work better. For Salk and Sabin, it was a key fork in the road, and they chose different paths. Salk went to work on a killed virus vaccine. Sabin chose attenuated. What is Sabin's path to choosing an attenuated, a weakened vaccine, rather than a killed virus vaccine? His inspiration was Max Feiler, who was uh, given the Nobel Prize for developing the yellow fever vaccine. And that was an attenuated okay. vaccine. He was convinced that the live attenuated virus made sense for polio as well. So Salk sets out to build this killed virus vaccine for polio. What are sort of the key moments in that quest? There was this sort of elite group of virologists who had their own sort of old boys club. And Salk was not really in it because he was younger and they didn't see him as being of their caliber. They decided, though, since he was interested in it, that they would put him to work. One thing that he could do is a project for typing the different kinds of polio and figuring out which ones were the virulent ones to humans, because that had not been done. He had been sort of looking at the different strains and types and thinking, 
Now, if I was going to make a vaccine out of this, which of these would I use? So he sort of had half the work done by the time he was finished typing these. Oh, interesting. So it seemed like the grunt work, but it was actually like meaningful progress toward the vaccine. Right. Yeah. So he really surprised everyone when he told them in 1953 that he had a vaccine for polio and he was ready to test it. And they had to have this field trial. There were two million children involved. And of the two million, they had a sample of people who got the vaccine and people who thought they were getting the vaccine but really didn't, so they were a control group. There was an observed group, too, that got nothing. Only about half a million actually got the vaccine. So they do this giant study, and what happens? They got the results, and they kept it very secret. April 12th, 1955, came the day when they were going to make the announcement, so people were invited to come to Ann Arbor. And all people wanted to know, does it work? Is it safe? Salk says, basically, yes, it's safe, and yes, it's effective. And then the reporters all ran to their phones, and they reported, and the church bells rang. Yeah. <laughs> you know, there were big, huge headlines in the newspapers. It was just like the end of World War II. It was that happy of an occasion. Wow. And so, so Sabin, he, he doesn't have a vaccine yet. He's, in fact, in the room when, when this Salk announcement is made. How was he feeling at this point? He was pretty sad. His main worry was that his funding would be cut off. So let's talk about where Sabin is in his research at this point. He was within a year of having the vaccine that was made from a weakened attenuated strain. And he, he had tried it on his own daughters. He tried it on his own daughters? On his own daughters. Well, it's interesting to think about, right? Because you can think of him giving it to his daughters as like, oh, creepy scientist experimenting on his children. But you can also think of it as, no, he believes this thing works. And there is this terrifying disease that could paralyze or kill his children. And he has what he has good reason to believe is like an elixir that will protect them. Yeah. Of course he's going to give it to them. Yeah. Remember, they had to also, you don't just get the vaccine and that's it. You have to be followed then. You have to have blood tests. You have yeah. to have your stools analyzed to see if you're passing any virus through your stools. So they had to take these little cardboard boxes to school. And if they had a bowel movement at school, then they had to give it to their teacher. So they said it was pretty embarrassing. Anytime my kids tell me that I'm going to embarrass them, I'm going to tell them that story. <laughs> uh, on the other hand, I'm not coming up with a vaccine for polio, so it's a trade-off. Um, so to go back to before, in the sort of first part of the 50s, were Salk and Sabin aware that they were racing with each other? Did they feel like they were racing with each other? Salk was still the little brother scientist who they thought, well, you know, he's nice, he's making progress, but, you know, he's not us. He also started to get sort of what they thought of as, as being uh, uppity in a way that he wouldn't listen to anyone. Like the know-it-all kid? Yeah. Uh -huh. So, for instance, Sabin told him, you know, I see that you plan to use the Mahoney strain 
in your vaccine. That is too dangerous to use in a vaccine. If any one of those got through and wasn't killed, it would kill whoever got it. And he said, oh, Albert, I have already made my decision. I've done it on my own experiments, and I'm going to stick with it. So actually what happened was there was an accident, and children died from getting the Salk vaccine that was improperly killed at one of the labs. That started this contention between the two of them. They had been colleagues. They had been friendly with each other. But then it got into sort of open warfare. So so they're having this basically a race, Salk and Sabin. They're developing their vaccines in parallel. Salk wins. He's, you know, like truly a national hero in the U.S. There's a massive vaccination campaign. And then not long after that, Sabin essentially finishes developing his own vaccine, this very different vaccine. And he winds up taking it to the Soviet Union, right? The Soviet Union started to have these terrible polio epidemics. And they didn't have a vaccine. And they knew the United States did. Sabin was going over and he would carry vials of this polio vaccine seed viruses in his pockets. In these little wooden (laughs) boxes. Just, you know... It is tweed jacket. He would show them how to make the vaccine. And so they oh. got very good at producing the vaccine. And they actually immunized 77 million people. It stopped their polio epidemics. It just stopped them cold. Uh-huh. I know the Salk vaccine is a dead virus and the Sabin vaccine is a live attenuated virus. But beyond that, what, what are the basic differences between them? Well, so the Salk vaccine is, was more expensive okay. and it was harder to make and store. The Sabin vaccine was, was easier because you could take it orally and you didn't have to have a trained person to give it. And so they just were able to train people to put a couple of drops of, of the vaccine virus on cubes of sugar. And the There's a great little story that goes with that. This little boy, he came home from school one day, and his dad was a songwriter for Disney. And so he said, so, son, what'd you do in school today? And he said, I got my polio vaccine. He said, oh, that must have hurt. And he said, no, you just get these little drops and and, uh, on a sugar cube, and that was it. And so (laughs) that's how his dad got the idea for Mary Poppins. A spoonful of sugar helps the medicine go down. So now we have these two effective vaccines in the world, right? The Sabin vaccine does get approved in the U.S. not long after the Soviet trial. We have the Salk vaccine and the Sabin vaccine. How does that play out in the world? So in the United States, they stopped using the Salk vaccine. Huh. Why? Because the Sabin vaccine was cheaper. There was no need to give the Salk vaccine because you could take the Sabin vaccine once. And for most people, that lasts your lifetime. But with Salk, you had to take the three initial doses and then a booster. It just made sense to switch to to the Sabin vaccine. And most countries did that. We know that with the Salk vaccine, there was that manufacturing risk where in one instance it was manufactured wrong and they made a a deadly dose of vaccines. What are the risks of of the Sabin vaccine? The Sabin vaccine has something called vaccine-associated paralytic polio. 
And it is when someone gets the vaccine who may have an, an immune disorder. And so even a very weakened polio virus can cause polio, like one in every three million doses or something. So in the eradication effort uh, that has been going on for the past few decades, which vaccine were they using? Mostly the, the Sabin vaccine. Wow. So, so in a way, Salk was like the hare and Sabin was like the tortoise. Like in the end, even though it seemed like Salk won, Sabin won. Yeah. Well, and actually the truth is it really takes both vaccines. Because in our country now, what the recommendation is by the vaccine committees is that you get the Salk vaccine. Did they ever make up with each other? No, they didn't. And it's interesting because one of Sabin's friends said to him one day, Albert, you have got to make up with Jonas. This is ridiculous. You are two grown men, and you just have got to make up. So he made him call Jonas Salk, and they had this long, pleasant-sounding conversation. And at the end of it, he said, okay, well, it's been nice talking to you. And he hung up the phone, and he said, that son of a bitch. (laughs) Karen's forthcoming book is Albert Sabin, A Fierce Joy. It'll be out in 2024. We'll be right back. And now a word from GSK. RSV, or respiratory syncytial virus, can put older adults at risk, including those with certain underlying conditions. Fortunately, vaccination is available. Orexv, respiratory syncytial virus vaccine, adjuvanted, is a vaccine used to prevent lower respiratory disease from RSV in people 60 years and older. Vaccination with Orexv is proven through a clinical study to be over 82% effective in preventing lower respiratory disease from RSV in adults 60 years and older and over 94% effective in those with asthma, diabetes, chronic obstructive pulmonary disorder, chronic heart failure, advanced liver or kidney disease, or any chronic respiratory or pulmonary disease. Orexv does not protect everyone and is not for those with severe allergic reactions to its ingredients. Those with weakened immune systems may have a lower response to the vaccine. The most common side effects are injection site pain, fatigue, muscle pain, headache, and joint pain. Talk to your doctor or pharmacist to see if Orexv is right for you and learn more by calling 888-OREXV-9 or by visiting orexv.com. That's A-R-E-X-V-Y dot com. RSV, make it Orexv. Because of Salk and Sabin's polio vaccines, transmission of polio in the U.S. ended in 1979. But the disease kept spreading in many other parts of the world. Ananda Bandiopadhyay is a deputy director for polio at the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. He told me he first saw the impacts of polio when he was growing up in India in the 1980s. I grew up in Kolkata, a city in the eastern part of India, and I would see polio-paralyzed kids In my own community, we used to play a lot of cricket, as you can imagine. And in our neighborhood, uh, there would be these sad instances of kids affected with polio. And then all of a sudden, they would stop coming to the playing field. So it was very real. 
1988, organizations like the CDC and the WHO came together and decided to do with polio what the world had done with smallpox, to wipe it from the face of the earth. At the time, it was estimated that every single day, polio paralyzed a thousand children. India led the way to really establish the proof of concept that polio can be stopped forever, including in complex geographies. And look at India now. It's not only the fact that India stopped polio in 2011. It maintained polio-free status for all these 12 years or so in between. So that, that's really a strong message for global health principles of eradication. Eradicating polio in India took a lot of work, and Ananda was part of it. In 2006, Ananda was sent by the WHO to a remote part of India, the Kosi River Basin in the state of Bihar. What was going on was this persistence of transmission, which essentially means we were seeing paralyzed children getting reported from these difficult areas of Bihar uh, in the Kosi Basin, despite the attempts to vaccinate. Villages in the Kosi River Basin were really hard to reach. Roads were few or non-existent, floods were frequent, and frontline workers like Ananda had to return again and again to make sure that every last child was vaccinated. To go there, Jacob, just to take you through that journey, I would initially take the project vehicle. It's kind of an SUV. And then we would get onto boats. It would take us four hours, sometimes five hours, to reach those remotest villages. So we would start at 4 a.m., you know, on those boats. We would target to reach these villages by 8 a.m., 9 a.m. or so. Then we would conduct the vaccination campaigns in coordination with the local government agencies, the medical doctors, female frontline health workers, local villagers would would join in. It's it's almost like a festive, <laughs> you know, day. It used to be. And, and the thing you have to do, this is an oral vaccine, right? So you have to put basically a couple drops of this vaccine into the mouth of, what, every person, every kid? Yes, two drops for all children aged under five It's amazing that it's two drops. (laughs) Like, it really is like you have this magic potion, right? Like, we have it. We have enough of it. And the problem, the global problem, is like we have to put two drops, just two drops of this potion into the mouth of every child under five. Absolutely, Jacob. The strategy was to reach each and every children in those highest risk areas. When we talk about the Kosi River uh, and we talk about the floods, Just to give you a sense of the scale, in 2006-2007, the time that I was in there, we are talking about about two and a half million to up to three million people displaced during these floods. I mean, this is almost like the, the entire population of Mississippi. You know, when we talk about these visits to these villages where you are essentially operating under a very strict time uh, restriction because 
you got to get back to the mainland before the sun sets. You know, in uh-huh. dark, it, it becomes very difficult. We're talking about remotest villages uh, with a lot of uh, difficulties. We were not waiting for people to come to us to get vaccinated. We were going to the to the folks, to the villagers, to that last child, that last household. So just to zoom out, like this is the the sort of story of your experience. Broadly, like what is the the end of the story of polio in India? January 13th, 2011 was the last time we detected a polio paralyzed child and interestingly Jacob this time around this last child was living essentially 10 miles away from my home uh, in Kolkata uh, so you know it's very personal when i when i look back into you know these children and also the trajectory of india polio has not yet been eradicated uh where is there still polio in the world and and why right now as you and i speak there are only two countries to be very precise a few subnational areas of these two countries pakistan and afghanistan where polio is still endemic, which really means that in these subnational pockets of these two countries, polio has never been stopped or interrupted for a long duration of time. I would say the primary issue in, in Pakistan, Afghanistan is of access. And I think some of the reason is still the geographic complexity. You can draw parallels to what we saw in a Bihar in India, where in some parts there were no road connectivity. In some parts, there were nomadic populations always moving around. On top of that, there is the geopolitical unrest, uh, the civil unrest, and also the political turmoil that the two countries are going through. Let's talk about that in some detail. Sure. I mean, we talked about this this one region uh, parts of Pakistan and Afghanistan where polio is still endemic. And then there's a set of countries, primarily in Africa, where there is a risk of reinfection. So first of all, what does that mean? Reinfection means if we have a susceptible group of people who are either under-vaccinated or unvaccinated, there is always a risk that polio will not only come back, but come back and re-establish circulation. Because polio virus can essentially travel through infected people into the polio-free areas. And if that area is not only getting exposed to such population coming in, but if it is also under or unvaccinated, then not only the virus comes in, but it comes in and reestablishes circulation in the susceptible under-vaccinated population. Right. Just, just so I'm clear, these regions where there are problems with reinfection, where are those cases coming from? It does vary, given the only two endemic foci now is in those subnational areas of Pakistan and Afghanistan. Typically, the source would be from somewhere there. 
So, so if we could knock it out in Pakistan and Afghanistan, we'd be done. Spot on. That's the primary and the central goal. We are not only in the last mile, we're probably in that last 100 meter, uh, you know, yeah. dash when it comes to reaching our goals. So we're coming to the end of this story, right? I mean, I hope we're coming to the end of, of polio itself yes. uh, existing in the world. How are we going to get there and when? When is it going to happen? Jacob, I, I wish I had a crystal ball and, and really answered the, the when part of the question. However, let's look into the data. Even within Pakistan, it's now cornered into a few districts, a few provinces. But beyond that geographic shrinkage, the genetic lineage shrinking is essentially telling us that the virus is gasping. We uh-huh. need to ensure that we have full momentum for this last push, the final push, to maintain our resolve to, to reach that last child in that last village of these areas. I'm very hopeful that it's, it's really uh, going to be very soon uh, that we'll see that last child infected with polio and it will stop uh, at that and not, not spread. Thanks to my guests today, Karen Torgeli and Ananda Bandiopadhyay. On our next episode, how the RSV vaccine could dramatically reduce the number of babies coming into hospital emergency rooms each winter. Also, how the development of that vaccine unlocked a whole new approach to targeting viruses. It's like, I don't know, we're we're sculptors, and now we have the model of what we need to make the, the sculpture of. And it allows us to make ideal mimics of these proteins found on the surface of the virus. Incubation is a co-production of Pushkin Industries and Ruby Studio at iHeartMedia. It's produced by Gabriel Hunter Chang, Ariella Markowitz, and Amy Gaines McQuaid. Our editors are Julia Barton and Karen Shakurji. Mastering by Anne Pope. Fact-checking by Joseph Friedman. Our executive producers are Catherine Girardot and Matt Romano. I'm Jacob Goldstein. Thanks for listening. Spoonful of sugar helps the medicine go down. Medicine go down. It says the same thing over and over again. That's all you have to say. Very good. Very good. (laughs) And now a word from GSK. Orexvi, respiratory syncytial virus vaccine, adjuvanted is a vaccine used to prevent lower respiratory disease from respiratory syncytial virus or RSV in people 60 years and older. Vaccination with Orexv is proven through a clinical study to be over 82% effective in preventing lower respiratory disease from RSV in adults 60 years and older. Orexv does not protect everyone and is not for those with severe allergic reactions to its ingredients. Those with weakened immune systems may have a lower response to the vaccine. The most common side effects are injection site pain, fatigue, muscle pain, headache, and joint pain. Talk to your doctor or pharmacist to see if Orexvi is right for you and learn more by calling 888-OREXV-9 or by visiting orexvi.com. That's A-R-E-X-V-Y dot com. RSV? Make it Orexvi.